Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Good morning, my friends. I hope everyone had a lovely weekend if you are catching this episode on a beautiful Monday morning. We release podcast episodes every Monday, so thank you again for tuning in and always checking out our content and stories and listening in and being such huge fans of the work we do. It's very much appreciated and we grow by your word of mouth. So continue to tell your friends, your medical care team, and everyone about breast cancer conversations. It really means the world. Today, I am so excited because we're continuing a conversation with Julia and Christine. If you caught last week's episode, we shared a little bit about their personal stories, living with metastatic disease and understanding the treatments that they went through and what provides them hope. Today, we're going to focus on the important work that these two women have done as co-founders of GRASP. GRASP stands for Guiding Researchers and Advocates to Scientific Partnerships. Their patient-led program connects patients and empowers them and clinicians and researchers to exchange ideas and learn from each other. This type of partnership enables GRASP to drive more meaningful and fundable research and make faster progress to improve therapies that will end cancer. Christine Hodgson was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in 2015. She has a background in biology and nonprofit programming, and her work enables her to curate cutting-edge research and interface with patients and researchers. Julia Mouse was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013 while pregnant. Following the birth of her healthy boy, Julia did tests she couldn't do while pregnant and discovered the cancer had spread to her brain, liver, and bones. After many treatment setbacks, her cancer finally began to respond. Julia says that cancer is part of her life but does not define her. Her goal is to make an impact while she is alive and in the lives of those dealing with metastatic disease. I'm so excited to have these two amazing women on today's podcast and share their stories and the important work they're doing with GRASP. I'm also excited that today's episode will be moderated by dear friend and breast cancer advocate living with metastatic disease, Abigail Johnston. If you're new to Breast Cancer Conversations and the work that we're doing at survivingbreastcancer.org, I would encourage you to check out our website, survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can find the latest and greatest of all of our free programming from support groups to expressive writing, art therapy classes, Movement Monday classes, and so much more. It's all there for you at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. Now let's dive into today's content. Welcome to the conversation. What happened for me is that I actually became afraid to meet other metastatic patients. I was afraid mm. patients that were doing worse than I was. And um, not only did I have some survivor's guilt, which I still deal with to this day, um, I I was just afraid that they were going to scare me. I was afraid that I was going to see a sick patient that was going to really scare me. But I have to say that um, as soon as I started meeting people, and I think my first big advocacy event was the Metavivor Stage 4 Stampede, it was like life-altering to meet people that had gone through a Stage 4 diagnosis. Like, they just get you in a way that it's like a trauma that we've, we've had to experience. And when you have gone through a similar trauma, like, you just get each other right away. And so... Yeah. Julia and I feel like we've known each other our whole lives and really it's only been like a couple years. And I think people will be surprised to hear that, but like it, it just bonds you in a way. So I always try to encourage people like take your time, 
but but you will be surprised because you'll meet people doing way better than you. You know, then I started meeting people yes. living alive for 20 years looking really great. And I was like, oh, like I, I've only I've only been doing this for like three or four years. So and then I do meet people, of course, that that are sicker than I am. And I've lost many, many friends, many friends. And um, so, but you kind of, you know, it's such a rich experience to to meet these people that, you know, you you gain so much from from yeah. meeting them that I would never trade it for anything. And and um, to quote Emily Garnett, who I know is a dear friend of Abigail. I know she's just a dear friend of all of ours. She what did she say? It's the worst club with the best people. And it's so true. It's like none of us want to be here. Here, but since we are here, we're meeting these like very yes. special people. So, um, <clears throat> always encourage newly diagnosed to, to, yeah. to, you know, take your time with it. But if you can, when you meet people, I think it makes a big difference. To be absolutely precise, you would say it's the shittiest club, but the best. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never miss an opportunity to curse. So I'm glad that that's what she said. That's way better. It makes way. No, better. no, she absolutely did, but. I think there, there's hardly anybody else where the first time you meet somebody, you're talking about real things, right? You're talking about death. You're talking about how to make the most of your life. We're, we don't, we're not spending any time on the fluff <clears throat> anymore. And, and I think that is what really makes this community so significant. So Julia, t- tell us about when GRASP was conceived, like when, when it was happening in real time, even if we don't have the pictorial evidence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Christine and I, like she said, we met, um, at a conference and for the two of us, we had been living with NBC for a few years and really started slowly in advocacy. I know some people, I think you're one of them, Abigail, that really like jumped in and started changing the world right away. And, um, (laughs) we, um, we really, um, you know, took our time, um, focused on our health. And I didn't meet someone with NBC for a while. For me, my first experience in advocacy was when my doctor asked me to share my story at a fundraiser for his research. And I was like, okay. And and I did. And apparently he raised a lot of money. I, I mean, this story is just very tragic and shocking. You know, you can get money to you can get people to put their wallets to work when they hear this um, story of the pregnancy and the baby and all of that. And, and I thought, okay, if there's anything good that can come out of this, then I'll, I'll tell this story and I'll, and I'll do that. And, and for the two of us, we didn't know exactly where our advocacy would go, but for the two of us um, working with researchers, um, was really like hopeful for us. And we saw how much uh, meaning we added to their work. And we had a few experiences um, at grant reviews or at conferences where we created very special relationships. And it was clear, like I could see how the work of that person was going to forever change because they met someone who was impacted by, by, their work or the work of someone like them. Um, so that's that's where we decided we wanted to play <laughs> uh, in the in the world of patients connecting with scientists. And um, our our signature program is bringing together patients and scientists at these big scientific conferences 
to discuss posters. So Christine was at um, a very big um, conference, the ASCO, the, the American Society for Clinical Oncology. And she was walking the posters and uh, ran into a friend of ours. And then they started to walk together kind of naturally and had an experience that was amazing. And, and I should say this friend is Dr. Corey Painter, a cancer researcher and a cancer survivor and a wonderful all around human being. But the, the unique part was that it was being able to walk almost with my own personal translator through, through this conference. Yeah. So um, they didn't plan it, but it was very, they both got a lot out of it. Right. So, um, and they got into the advocate lounge uh, where I was and Christine is like telling me that she just had this amazing experience and we have to tweet about it and everyone should be doing something like this. And, and when she did, people started responding that they wanted to participate in that program. Where do I sign up? That's a, that, that, that sounds wonderful. How do I, and obviously that didn't exist at the time. And uh, it just meant that we needed to make it happen. And, and we did, we um, worked with um, Sandy Stanford and from San Antonio. um, And we created this organization and this program. Uh, We have uh, ways for people to sign up. We match people based on uh, their interests with the posters that they might be interested in discussing. We allow patients to sign up based on topics and we create these groups and bring them together to walk the poster sessions. And then the pandemic hit. So the walk became... Like, can we can we talk about the poster session just for a minute for people who haven't been to these big scientific conferences? So like these posters, I mean, how big are they? They're like they're gigantic. It's like the side of a car. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to tell people that are, that have never been at a conference like this is think a, a, a school science fair. Yes. Yes. On steroids. But, but like, like on steroids. You know, those, those <laughs> big boards, instead of like the volcano, it has like really tiny print with many charts and pictures of mice dissected and, you know, um, yes. so, so that's what posters are. Um, and it's, it's this huge room. I mean, we're talking like huge echoing, cavernous yeah. room with hundreds of posters. And then there's these scientific people standing by the poster, right? So the people who drafted the poster probably had to like, somebody was talking about like how they had to carry it on the plane and hold it. And it's like this whole big thing to get the actual physical poster there. But it's intimidating for those of us who didn't go to medical school, didn't, don't have a science background to walk into like these, well, and statistics, right? The posters are full of these statistics and, oh, I barely passed statistics. So it's complicated and it's overwhelming, right? So having a person who really knows her stuff I mean, how amazing is it that Corey would do that? Yeah. It's a really good point because when I try to explain this to people who have never attended a scientific conference, because I've actually had to create posters in my pre-cancer life. I have posters that I've gone to conferences and created. So 
Um, you know, and what I liked about the poster session is that you are really getting one-on-one -on -one time with the researcher. And so that was like a really cool, you know, that to me was always, um, I like that much better than being in a big room where one person is talking and, and you're just there listening. And I would never ask a question in front of all those people, but one-on-one, -on -one, it's much easier. So that was kind of what I was drawn to. But in explaining what a poster is, it's literally a scientific paper on a big poster. So because yes. people would be like, why do people need poster kind of sounds almost like a, like it just, it's like a misnomer. Cause it kind of sounds like you just have like a, a title maybe. And I remember showing my aunt was asking me, she's like, I don't get it. Why do you need a whole session to discuss a poster? I was like, let me show you a poster. Let me show you an example of a poster, really tiny print, the abstract, the experiment is explained all the results and then the conclusions and then picture. So it's like, it is very overwhelming. And I'll tell you, ASCO is insane. It's like 40,000 people. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it because when I was there walking with Corey, I was literally like milling around, like very close contact with all these people. It was so tight. And even though it was a huge convention center, it was very tight and we had to weave our way around the crowds, but it was amazing because that was, I literally had this like built-in person who I could say, I don't even know what that graph means. Can you explain what that graph is? And Yes. And then I was giving her my perspective as a patient, like, oh, this, this, this drug might look really great, but nobody can stay on it. It's like a terrible drug causes horrible diarrhea. And she was like, oh, wow. You know, so we were just, you know, learning from each other. Which is so, so important. So um, I will tell you my experience from San Antonio and Laura was there um, as well, because it was probably only about a third to maybe 40% of the normal attendees in person, because so many people did the online only option mm. that it actually felt pretty safe because there was, it was that same huge, huge, gigantic space that would normally accommodate San Antonio is a little smaller than ASCO, but um, there were just far less bodies there. So anyway, hopefully ASCO um, will be like that. But I think to a certain extent, some of the days of these gigantic conferences was with 50,000, 40,000 people from all over the world. I think, we're going to have some online options going forward. And so you guys pivoted with Grasp. Um, so Julia, if you, sorry, I interrupted you. If you want to pick up where you left off. <laughs> yeah, no. So um, like everyone else, we had to adapt to the pandemic. Uh, so we had created this whole program that the whole basis of it was human connection. <laughs> and then humans couldn't connect. Uh, so we pivoted to online um, and started doing these small discussions in breakout rooms. And so we meet in a big room uh, where everyone joins a Zoom, and then we send people into small breakout rooms. Sometimes the small group of people is like all scientists. Sometimes it's like people from pharma. This group is uh, very specifically thought of with an experienced advocate, uh, you know, so Abigail is kind of translating the language from the scientist to the patients. If it's complicated, she'll pause and ask, can you explain that in other terms? Or, And then if a patient uh, is sharing a personal experience, she connects that to the science. And um, so this, this is a group talking with the scientist right there. The connections that we're making are really powerful, very impactful. Um, and it's partly why we really 
harp on keeping the group small because I just don't think you can get that connection by having, you know, a big, like a webinar, for example, we have like, you know, 50 people attending and one person talking. That is not what we're going for. We want conversations. We want, I wanted Jasmine to feel comfortable crying and sharing her story, you know, and she wouldn't have been able to do in a big webinar. I mean, maybe she would have, I am personally not somebody who's not going to do that in front of a lot of people. So I really like the, you know, the intimate setting. And I think it's something that that is unique from a lot of the other programs. And we do get a lot of questions about, can we expand it? Can we make it bigger? Can we record? And we kind of played with that idea for a little bit, but then realized, no, we can't because it takes away from, it like compromises the the whole, the structure and the essence of what GRASP is. So we just, we keep it small and um, it works really well with these breakout rooms now virtually. And one of the things we decided was that we're always going to keep a virtual component now. We reach so many more advocates and patients that otherwise can't travel to a conference. So we're actually now trying to ease our way back into the in-person. I think one of the things that I, I hear from doctors who don't participate in GRASP is, is the concern about being asked um, for their opinions about individual medical uh, scenarios. And, um, you know, how, how do you guys address that? So um, we, we provide a few um, training materials and guidelines. That's one that's highlighted and <laughs> underlined. And um, I mean, absolutely is not the place to be asking uh, for medical advice. So if someone does it, the mentor will know how to deal with that situation and will try to, you know, um, change the topic or let the person know. But, but I think in general, advocates need to know this, that whenever one person does that, it hurts the whole idea of patient involvement, because that's exactly the argument of anyone that thinks patients should stay in the clinic. And not not to say that it's not very valuable for patients to express their individual experiences. In fact, um, Laura is very connected now to some research that I researchers that I randomly met because they were looking at side effects of Picre or Alpelisib. And I walked up to them and I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what it's like. Yeah. Um, so that I think we, we talked about earlier that that's the, the value that patients bring is the actual experience. So sharing your experiences or side effects or struggles is not the same as asking somebody to say, okay, this is how you should treat it. What and you I have should been, do. Yeah. Exactly. And I have been in groups where um, the doctor you can just see them. They want to tell them what to do. Like, like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's almost like it's going to burst out of them. They want to help so, so much. And so, you know, we've done a lot of pausing and, you know, talk offline and, and those kinds of things, but um, the magic really can happen in, mm-hmm. in these small groups when people are really talking about their, their personal experiences. So if an advocate, if, if, if a patient, right, let's not even call them an advocate yet. Somebody who's a patient wants to get involved with GRASP. How do they do that? So on, uh, if they go to our website, graspcancer.org, um, there's, a, there's a link called Join Us. And if they click that, fill out a form with their interests. And their interests may be what their actual subtype is and, you know, sites of metastasis and things 
things like that. But we're not necessarily asking you to tell us what your exact diagnosis is. You may be interested in a variety of things that maybe you don't live with. Um, and that will be what your profile will look like for us. And um, I think this is a good time to talk about a different program that we also have where we realized that these discussions that happen at these big conferences are great, but there's science happening all the time. And we want those scientists to be talking to patients even before they do the poster because we want them to have the patient input in order to write what they write on the poster. So uh, we started facilitating some connections offline and, um, and we often have a scientist come to us and say, I would like to speak with patients about this work. And uh, we contact patients from our database and we see if they're interested in participating in a small intimate conversation with a researcher working on X and um, and that's why what you fill out in your profile matters because that's really what we use in order to match you with work that interests you. But these scientists or pharma companies or whoever, they don't have access to your database, right? No. Okay, good. <laughs> not, no, not it's at all. Really a, um, it's a match.com. <laughs> so what we do, but nobody else gets to see it. So we'll see. We're the matchers. Uh, yeah. We're <laughs> cupids. So it's actually a good reminder too, that if you are already a member, you should update your profile. It's really easy to do, but you know, we look at that when an opportunity comes our way, we'll have a researcher reach out to us and say, I'm really looking for this demographic with this type of cancer. Like we use the profile because we can't possibly, we have almost a thousand people now in the directory. So we can't know everybody's situation. So we really do use that. So it's really easy to update. You just go to grasscancer.org slash dashboard. And once you're there, it's it's very easy to update your profile. So, you know, if your interests have changed, if you have a new cancer diagnosis, um, that's all useful information because we do cover all cancers, not just breast cancer. We we are, I would say the majority of the people involved in grass are breast cancer, either scientists or patients, but we, you know, we're going to be at ASCO and ASCO covers all cancers. So, um, so yeah, it's just a nice, it's a good way for us to know who you'd like to be matched with. And uh, we want to keep doing that and we want to make sure that you're happy. <laughs> so that helps. Um, I know it was, I think it was 2021 or maybe it was 2020 when you guys were doing the, the pull up a seat, uh, conversations, uh, so that, um, black patients were able to speak about their experiences as minorities. Um, you guys want to talk a little bit about that program? Sure. Um, so yeah, we collaborated with the Tiger Lily Foundation, um, and really this, this model of a small intimate group allows people that maybe wouldn't have the microphone that often to have uh, an environment that, that they do want to share, uh, be it patients or, and um, so Tiger Lily was working on disparities and still is doing very important work in that area. And um, we, we created a program with them that's, that started with a talk by an expert and then eventually um, Oh, like over the course of the meeting, created breakout rooms where 
patients that are experiencing breast cancer, black women, um, are talking to pharma, um, doctors, other healthcare providers about their experience and, and sharing what, what it, what it's like, uh, how they face very unique challenges, the kind of things that we have no idea they experience. And, um, and really like first accounts of, um, of these situations. Yeah. And in fact, in at San Antonio in 2019, disparities in the experiences of black patients was something that was front and center. Was, wasn't there a, a grant by uh, someone who had passed away? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that, Christine? Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we had a private donation come in and um, from the mother of a dear friend of mine that had passed away. And um, she really wanted us to do something very meaningful with that. And we had just started. We didn't know what we were doing. We weren't an organization yet. <laughs> we were like very clueless and totally thought this was going to be like a really small pilot project at San Antonio, or <laughs> like 20 people. It was going to be very small. And it, it was huge. It was like 120 people that actually showed up. And um, what we did with that grant was we decided that, um, and this is really to our collaboration with MEMA and Tiger Lily, MEMA is the founder of the Tiger Lily Foundation, um, really helped us understand that um, we just need to make sure that Black patients are getting a platform, you know, that they actually have access to the same things that we have access to. And so what we decided to do was um, we sent 12 people I think it was 12, 12 people to San Antonio, all paid for hotel tickets, registration. And 11 of those 12 people were African-American. And um, while they were there, we had like a whole itinerary for them to follow. And and one of the things they had to do, of course, was participate in GRASP. And, and it was just a really, it was really special to see this diverse crowd, you know, at San Antonio, all congregated around these posters. And um, we even had like a video crew, like following, like we looked like we were really popular. And it was, and we, they had signs, you know, holding people. And what was happening, what was really cool was that the, the poster authors were like, what's that? Like, I want my poster to be on whatever that is. Like, what's going on with that? So it was, it was a really, I mean, Julie and I were like just crying like at the, at, at San Antonio because it just went well beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. Um, but I just remember like one of my dear friends, Jersey Baker, she, um, I remember her walking away saying, I love science. It's so cool. I had no idea. And I was like, that's the whole point. It's like, you know, she didn't have a science background, but it doesn't take a science background. You just have to have a good teacher. And that's something we're pretty selective with the scientists that we choose. Um, many of them have experience working with patient advocates and they're very excited to work with us. Um, but now I would say we're expanding now to include these poster authors, many of which are early in their career. They're young trainees. Um, so they're not as good. At communicating the science, but this is an opportunity for them to train, to learn how to do that. And we work with trainees all the time, Julia and I do. And it's, it's really funny because they really struggle to communicate it to a lay audience. And, um, grasp is really helpful for that. And then on the other, the bi-directional part is that advocates get confidence. You know, they become more confident 
in asking questions and sharing their stories. So it really does work both ways. Both groups are, are benefiting. One of the other things that, that you guys do is you highlight advocates that most that we've lost. Um, and, and Amanda's picture was on um, those picture, uh, the posters um, that show, showed us where to go, right? So we were looking yeah. for the, the logo and looking for Amanda's picture. But in terms of contributing to the legacies of those people that we've left behind, you guys want to talk about how you've done that? Yeah. So, um, so it all started with Amanda, really. Um, so we often talk about how when we are explaining to a new patient advocate how to, you know, ask a question to a poster author, um, we, we say, we want them to be a little bit like Amanda, you know, because she would like walk straight to a poster and be like, why does this and this and this, and why aren't you doing that? And, you know, and, um, so we wanted to honor her at that first, um, in person San Antonio. So we had these, um, we had these stickers made emblems and, um, they, we, we put them on the posters that were selected for grasp. Um, and, uh, unfortunately that was the only time that we were able to actually physically give them the emblem because they really loved it. But, um, since then we've, we've done it digitally. Uh, so there's a, there's a virtual image that they can put on their slides and, um, and we, what we, what we have done is we have honored um, a different person that has really put in uh, their, their valuable time and energy while living with cancer to make uh, the lives of others um, a little bit better. GRASP is truly doing phenomenal work. I love how you are bringing the patient, the advocate, the legacy, the scientist all together as part of the conversation, really pulling up a seat for everybody. Julia, Christine, Abigail, thank you once again for being part of our NBC webinar series and our breast cancer conversations. Keep up the outstanding work that you continue to do day in and day out. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. If you want to hang out again, please check out survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events where you can RSVP to our Thursday Night Thrivers weekly meetup, our Movement Monday classes, workshops, seminars, and so much more. We can also continue the dialogue online via social media. Our Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. Until next time, keep on thriving.